listening to First Church Charlotte. Stand with me. We're going to read together uh, in the book of John, John chapter number 20. We're going to read at verse number 30. It's my goal today to inspire you to see how God is looking for opportunities to manifest his power and glory in our lives. I want you all to see how the Lord is wanting your life to be a testimony of his miraculous power and his divine resurrection. Our lives become living testimonies for others. Let's read in John chapter number 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Somebody say yes. The Son of God, yes. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So I am using as a theme today this subject of a book of seven signs. I'll explain it in just a moment. A book of seven signs. Uh, Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, I love sitting by you in church. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right, all right, all right. So it is my privilege and honor to bring the word of the Lord to you today. It is the highlight of my life to be able to preach this great gospel, and it is a joy to go to church with wonderful people like you. Uh, I would go to church all by myself, but it's much better with you here, and I'm thankful for that. I am happy of what the happy to hear all the reports of the good things God is doing in your lives. I'm always happy to hear testimonies of God's blessing. How many of you feel blessed? How many you have in your life the testimony of God's blessing? Do you feel that way today? I feel that way today. I'm so unworthy in myself. There's nothing that I have whereby I, I should demand anything for God, but I do have this sense of his great goodness in my life and his blessing and his kindness, his kindness to me. Uh, John is the last of the gospel writers to put into a book form his, his, his experience, his time together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark, Mark was probably the first one to be written. They're pretty sure of that. Uh, then Matthew, then Luke, uh, and then John would be the last of the gospel stories. And John is very interesting because it seems quite evident that John had read Mark's account and John had read Matthew's account and God, John had read Luke's account. And so when he writes his account, he doesn't write it in a the form of a story that happens chronologically. It's not as though he tells you a story that first this, then that, first here, then there. But rather, he thinks about the whole of his exposure to Jesus Christ. And he asks himself, what can I say that people need to know? What truth can I give to people that they need to know? I don't simply want to say, first, you know, there is uh, this one born to this one, uh, that one's born to the other. I, I want to start with the ideas that matter. And this is why John uh, so beautifully starts with things like this. In the beginning was the Word. 
He goes to first principles. He, he doesn't simply tell you a story of, of Mary or, and Joseph, which is a beautiful story, but that had been told. He starts back much earlier, and he starts in uh, understanding truly of the Godhead, uh, the, 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 the Father, uh, the, the, the eternal spirit, uh, the Son, Jesus, who walked with him and he was the disciple of, and uh, then the giving of the Holy Spirit to replace the, the tabernacle and the temple and the Shekinah that was in the Holy of Holies, and now we have all become the temples of the Holy Ghost. He, he has this story to tell, and he does a beautiful job of telling it. However, he does not tell many of the miracles that have already been told by Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. He, he doesn't tell those stories. Instead, he picks seven signs. That's why his book in some academic circles is called the book of seven signs. John picks seven signs that each one of these is a testimony of something he thinks you need to know about God. And he gives you, in the first few chapters, the first 12 chapters of his book, he doesn't tell you all that Jesus did. In fact, he will say this instead. He will say, if everything Jesus did was told, the earth, the earth could not, the whole earth would be filled with books that told the story of his goodness and told the, the story of what it meant and the, the themes and the symbols, the signs and the prophecies, the whole earth would be told. And so he says, I'm not going to try to do that. Instead, I am picking seven signs that will serve as the themes, the truths, the ideas, the insights that I think you need to know about Jesus. And so we read this here. And John says, look, he, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, but these, what? The seven he chose, these are written that you may believe, number one, Jesus is the Christ. Number two, he is the Son of God, number three, by believing you will have life in his name. And so John picks seven stories. I'm going to very quickly, uh, I could do a whole series on this, as you well know. I could preach two or three hours on this, as you do not know, because I've never abused you in that manner. But it's a brand new year, and maybe this is... Maybe this is the year where I will get really, really long-winded. Um, the long-winded people around here are Anthony and Lisa. They are both very long-winded, but not me. Lisa can do an hour Bible study in a 15-minute prayer group. Uh, she, she's long-winded. Anthony, uh, try to find one of his devotions he write on, puts online. It'll be like seven pages long, and it'll take you from Genesis to Revelations. Not me. I am, I, I'm like uh, 15 minutes is all I ever go, right? Uh, so the first miracle, John thinks you need to know this. You need to understand this. This is the moment where Jesus turns water into wine. Seemingly a strange choice for Jesus to begin his ministry. In fact, the whole idea of him being a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. And the first thing he do, he does is he, uh, he, he saves embarrassed hosts at a wedding who don't have enough wine. Um, have you ever had anybody of your house and run out of food? It's very embarrassing. The only thing more embarrassing than that is when you run out of wine. So, uh, 
Yeah. It's a strange story, isn't it? Almost as though we're more nervous than Jesus is. And uh, he, he, what a strange story. But if you look at this story and you see it, not someone being raised from the dead, not someone having demons cast out, but water into wine. You've all heard the joke about the, about the preacher who was weaving all over the road and the highway patrol pulls him over and says, what do you have in that bottle? And he says, it's water officer. And the officer smells it and says, uh, this is not water. This is wine. And the old preacher says, praise God, he did it again. <laughs> so, so it's such a strange miracle to have Jesus as an introduction. Uh, is everybody okay? Everybody relax. Just take a breath. We're not going to serve any wine here in a moment. You're safe. And so um, it's a strange miracle. But I want to point out something that I've never preached this. I'm going to preach it from this day forward. But uh, I did some study on this, and I saw something I'd never seen before. And I love when I do that because it, it's something I can carry with me. It's like fresh bread in my personal devotion. But uh, they turn uh, these these casts of water, casks of water, uh, these jars of water, they turned it, them into wine. But what were their jars of water there for? These stone um, uh, jars of water. Why did they have this water anyway? And you understand when you look into it that part of the wedding ceremony was the ceremonial cleansing they would perform under the law that they might in some way follow the rule of the law. This was the water of duty that Jesus turns into the wine of the Spirit. And so what they had as duty to keep the law, that's what Jesus turns into the wine of the Spirit. So you see the, the symbolism involved in this moment. Jesus turns the water into wine. It is a kicking off of his ministry. The second miracle is in John chapter number four. Jesus heals an official son. He's not even with the young man. He just, by command, he heals him at a distance. John thinks, you need to know about this. Because first of all, you need to believe that even though you aren't in the room with Jesus in the manner of the disciples, he still can heal you from anywhere, any place. He is near to you. You need to see the authority that is in this sign, this story that John tells you. And finally, you need to see the fact that no mention is made of the nationality of this man. God's goodness and God's mercy can extend to anyone. Can I have a big amen? And so the third sign of the book of John is the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Here's a man. He is wants to be healed, but it's a symbol not just of healing, but it's a symbol of, of where all of us are. We, we live on the edge of uh, the miraculous, but we never can seem to get to it. Uh, the law brings you to, brings you close, but never gets you in. He says to Jesus, I have no one to help me into the pool. Jesus Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Jesus accomplishes what nothing else, no one else can accomplish. John thinks you need to see that. You need to know that about uh, your Savior. Uh, sign number four or miracle number four is the feeding of the 5,000. This is in John chapter number six. You see the crowd who are pursuing Jesus for the words of life. They don't even have anything to eat. They are seeking first truly the kingdom 
kingdom of God. And Jesus miraculously takes a lunch and turns it into a very large catering service and feeds 5,000 people who were hungrier for the things of the spirit than they were for the things of the flesh. So it is in your life, John would have you to know, if you will pursue the things of God, everything else will be added unto you. Miracle number five, this is walking on the water. John thinks you need to know this story. He thinks it will help you see what God can do in your life. And so he shows you the disciples crossing an ocean or a sea by themselves, the Sea of Galilee, and the storm comes and the wind blows and they're frightful. And they look up and Jesus is walking on top of the water. Jesus is on top of what is troubling them. What is troubling you today? What is hurting you? What's uh, frustrating you? Jesus is not stuck in your dilemma. Jesus is walking on top of your dilemma. And if you can perceive him not too far away, you can call out to him. And the moment Jesus gets into the boat with you, the storm is going to change. The trouble is going to be placed in perspective. And you are going to be immediately brought to the other side. Miracle 6 is the man born blind and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath and when the the scribes and Pharisees criticize the miracle the man testifies so good and so uh, powerfully of his uh, blessing the the blessing of the miracle he received that the, the scribes give up arguing with him and just throw him out of the synagogue Jesus hears he's been thrown out of the synagogue goes and meets him and the man worships Jesus not simply as a healer but as the Son of God. These are six signs. Each one of them you could do a series on. Each one of them is insight into something the Apostle John wants you to know about God, wants you to know about Jesus Christ. But the sign I want to spend the most time on here today is the seventh sign that the Apostle writer, uh, the Gospel writer, the Apostle John, he chooses to share with you as a teaching moment as something for you to see. And this is the story of Lazarus passing away and being buried and in the tomb for four days. And then Jesus showing up and raising him from, from the dead. You can read the story in the 11th chapter of the book of John. Uh, many of you have heard this preached on. It's a fun story to preach on. I've preached on the raising of Lazarus many, many times. I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I know you do too. We, us preachers love to act out the idea of coming out of the grave all bound up with clothes, you know, and, and then they, they, they loose them and let them go. And then we preach about how you need to be set free in Jesus name. And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) If it's a good crowd, if it's a bad crowd, they just sit there and look at you. But, uh, this, this sign is so powerful. This is the, the seventh sign that John chooses. He can't tell you everything Jesus did. So he picks seven miracles in, 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 Hebrew thought, seven was the number of completion. And so having taken you through six uh, miracles or six signs, he would sum it all up with this sign, and then he would spend the rest of his book telling you about the last week of Jesus' life. I want you to see this in the Gospel of John. Uh, the, 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 uh, over almost 
Almost half of it is about the last week of Jesus' life, and a full one-third of all the verses are about the last 24 hours of Jesus' um, uh, 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 crucifixion, Jesus' passion. Uh, he spends most of his time there, but for three and a half years of blind eyes open, for three and a half years of uh, uh, sick people being healed and lame uh, people uh, walking again, of, of, of crowds being fed and demons being cast out, for three and a half years, John simply gives you seven stories, seven testimonies to tell you what you need to know about Jesus, and then he takes you right into the last week of, of, of the Lord. Um, this, this sign, this seventh sign, becomes kind of a, a moment where it all comes together, and there's a few things that I want you to see in this, because my goal today is to remind you of how God wants to do great and mighty things, not just for you, but through you. Yeah. I want to remind this church that miracles are not simply for our relief, but they are a testimony of God. When we pray for the miraculous, it is not simply because we can't take real life. It's because we want the testimony of God in our lives. I want you to see this. When we believe and we pray for divine inter intervention, it's not simply relief for our troubles. Now, I have heard, you have heard, relief is a big deal. Uh, we need relief from all sorts of troubles and sicknesses. I get that. But it's not simply uh, that because the truth is uh, we're all mortal and we all are going to at some time, some hour, someday, we're going to be gathered back to our creator. And um, so that is all as it should be. Why then would we desire so much the manifestation of God in our lives? Because the miraculous becomes the testimony of God. It, believe it or not, literally becomes part of the gospel story where you will see, and this is shown, I'm not going to do a Bible study on this today, but there's scriptures on this. You will see where the miraculous is directly associated with the preaching of the gospel. People need to believe that he is, can I have an amen, and that he cares. If you only believe that he is, you are stuck with a fatalistic view of the world, and you're, you're, you're left with this kind of, well, whatever will be, will be, que you know, whatever works out, works out. But if you begin to believe that he cares... Oh, come on, church. You'll begin to pray for things you didn't have faith to pray for earlier. You'll begin to speak things you didn't have confidence to speak earlier. God wants your life to be a manifestation of his power and his glory. Last Sunday, I told the story of how uh, Jesus had invited uh, his disciples to ask anything in his name, and he would give it to them. And I, I confess to you, uh, some of you weren't here, but I was talking about this story. I, I confess I didn't really understand what was going on here, and I felt like a children of Israel circling Mount Moriah, and up on top of the mountain there were lightning and thunder. There's something good up there, but I, I don't know how to get up there and understand it. So I've been thinking about this this week, and why would Jesus speak so powerfully invoking a us to believe for the miraculous. Why would he do that? Why would he tell the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it? What is the very next thing they ask for? Bring down fire, consume these Samaritans. What does Jesus say? No. 
Now, wait a minute, I'm confused. Jesus has just told them, ask for whatever you will, and I will do it. Jesus does not say, as long as you aren't ignorant. He doesn't say, as long as you ask for the right things. It is as though he is daring you to grow your faith. Oh, my goodness. I might end up preaching here today in a little while. It's as though Jesus is daring them to believe when they are not of the right spirit, he will not justify their bad spirit with his anointing, but he very much, very much will invite you to believe for big things. So stay with me on this. Jesus is in the business of asking the disciples to believe for great and mighty things. He says in one place, with God, anything is possible. Can I have an amen? That's not anybody else saying that. That's Jesus saying that. He says in another place, speak to the mountain and it will be removed, cast into the uttermost part of the sea. Jesus said it. He said, greater works than these shall you do. That's not somebody else saying it. That is Jesus saying it. And he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is the one who is looking at the believer and saying, believe for great things. Believe for mighty things. Exercise your faith. Be audacious with your request. Ask for big things. I want you to say it with me right now. Ask for something big. Punch your neighbor and say, ask for something big. If we as people of God can learn how to believe for big things, our faith will begin to soar on the wings of an eagle, so to speak. We will arise from the pettiness. Yes, I said the pettiness of stuff that is stealing your faith, stuff that is destroying your joy. Some of you are struggling for joy right now over stupid things. Yes, I use the S word. I'm sorry. You are struggling for joy over stupid things. Now, I didn't use the word some of y'all were thinking, but I use my word. Y'all just need to get washed and regenerated in the blood of the lamb and all that good stuff. You are letting stupid things destroy your faith when the Lord is saying, why can't you believe for something with some weight to it? Why can't you speak for something with some confidence in it? Why can't you look at the mountain and say, be ye removed? (laughs) Real quick, I want you to see this. This is not a miracle for the masses. This is some of Jesus's best friends. Martha and Mary, two sisters, and Lazarus, their brother, are some of Jesus' best friends. When Jesus is there in that part of the country, he stays at their house. They cook for him. That is his Airbnb when he's anywhere in the neighborhood. That is his uh, place. That's his spot. And they take care of him. Most of Jesus' miracles happen to people we don't even know who they are. They are truly the represented by the crowds. And they receive the great the great majority of Jesus's miracles, but not this miracle. This is a miracle for an insider. This is a miracle for somebody really, really close. I love that God has a heart for the crowd. I love that God doesn't need you to qualify yourself to to receive some miracle. In fact, I want to encourage all of you, all of you believers, be quick to pray for people whether or not they come to church. 
be quick to pray for people whether or not they are a quote unquote Christian by any standard that you have. God pours most of his miracles out for the 5,000, for the crowd. People, we don't know their name. They're not there when the 70 is sent out. They certainly don't stay through a nine day prayer meeting when the 120 receive the gift of the spirit. They're not even a part of the 500 who saw Jesus alive after his resurrection. But hear me, they received the greatest part of God's miracles. Get, don't ever, our church has never had this culture and we're not going to get it now, but don't ever get in the business of judging whether anybody's worthy of a miracle. There's none of us worthy of, there's none of us worthy of a miracle. There, there's nobody who deserves something and somebody who doesn't. If it weren't for the grace of God in our life, if it weren't for the love of God, if it weren't for Calvary, there would be no miracle for any of us. I love that about God. But in this moment, I want you to see, I want you to see this is not a miracle for a stranger. This is a miracle for the people that are among the closest friends that Jesus has. The disciples are walking with him, not simply as friends, but they are truly uh, choosing almost a career change. They're giving up one career to learn another path of spiritual ministry. But as far as friendships, Martha Mary and Lazarus. These are the people that Jesus stays with. They're the uh, closest of Jesus's friends, and uh, it's Lazarus who gets sick, and we we know Jesus loved Lazarus. Uh, Jesus wasn't staying with them at this moment because uh, in this part of the country, they had tried to stone Jesus, and he had to leave uh, lest they 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 seek to steal, uh, to kill him. And when you read the story later on in uh, John 11, you'll read where the disciples are afraid of Jesus going back there because they're going to try to stone him again. And you see how Jesus tarries and Jesus waits. And uh, this is not a very friendly thing to do. Uh, <laughs> um, if your friend needs something and you wait till you aren't needed anymore, it's kind of like uh, that guy who you needed help to move, but uh, he waited till you were moved in, then he came over to watch football. All of you guys have a friend like that. They're not there when the garden needs putting in, but as soon as the game is turned on and there's a free Dorito bowl, uh, then they're all of a sudden in the house ready to party. It seems like this is what is happening here, but this is to see through carnal eyes. The truth is, hear me, Jesus doesn't want them to just have a testimony of friendship. He wants them to have a testimony of resurrection. I don't care how long you've been serving God, you need the testimony of the miraculous. I don't care how f uh, ordered your life is, I don't care how organized your journey is, you need a testimony of the miraculous because it is that testimony that becomes part of the witness of God in your life. You have been called to a great work and God wants to put signs and wonders in your life as a testimony that he is with you and his anointing is upon you. So I'm going to say this again. We need to believe God for audacious things. We need to be in the habit of speaking great faith. We don't need to be satisfied with a crumb from the master's table. We need to speak great faith in the name of Jesus. We need to celebrate the manifest dominion of God through the miraculous among his people. The reason why they need this testimony is because they are not simply called to, to be on kind of the periphery of Jesus' life. They are part 
of the testimony itself. So I want to say it in your terms. You are not called simply to be a churchgoer. You are to called to be a part of the testimony of God itself. That's why you need the miraculous in your life. The next chapter when Jesus is in Jerusalem, uh, you will see the power of Lazarus having a testimony. You will see the power of Lazarus having uh, the sign and the miraculous and the effect that has upon the city. John chapter number 12, verse number 9, there was a great crowd of the Jews who learned that Jesus was there. Uh, And the Bible says they did not come for Jesus' sake only, but also that they might see Lazarus. Also that they might see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This testimony was so powerful. I hope you get this. This testimony was so powerful that the chief priest, verse 10, consulted that maybe they ought to kill Lazarus too because the testimony of the miracle was so powerful. You see, it's not enough for us to be on the edges of the church. You need the testimony of God's power in your life. You need the testimony of the miraculous because it's not just the story of Jesus that moves the crowd. It's your story that moves the crowd. This is why the blind man can say... This is why the blind man can say to all the critics and all the scribes and all the Pharisees, whether or not Jesus is a devil, I do not know. But this is what I know. I once was blind and now I see. You can argue theology all you want to, but I once was blind, but now I see. You can criticize Jesus all you want to, but I once was blind and now I see. I need the testimony of the miraculous in my life because I will not convince people with an argument. I need a testimony. I won't win anybody with an argument. We do it wrong when our testimony is some version of this. Hi, I'm right. You're wrong, and I'd love to tell you more. (laughs) That doesn't work. I know churches have done it for years, but honey, it does not work. We need a different kind of testimony uh, than, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, I'd love to tell you more. We need this kind of testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. I once sat in darkness, but now a great light has been placed in my life. Let me tell you about when I was sick and the dominion of God was manifest in my life. Let me tell you how I was bound. I was addicted. I was held in trespasses and sins, but the dominion of God spoke life into the chaos. Musicians, you can come. So when Jesus walks up to that tomb where Lazarus is, or he walks up to the home, Martha meets him at the, in the distance and she runs to him. She says, oh, Jesus, 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 it's so bad that you got here late because if you would have got here on time, then our brother would not be dead. If you, It's not that she didn't have faith. She just didn't have enough to meet what God wanted to do. She had faith. It just wasn't enough to make a difference in her current circumstance. If you had been here, it would have happened, but you got here late. 
there's a tradition, and there's a bunch of little fun facts around this context. I'll try to share some of them with you. There is a tradition in uh, Jewish uh, history that for three days, the spirit of the body lingered near the body. And during that three days, there was a particular type uh, and style of mourning uh, that the people went through for those three days because the spirit was near the body. But Jesus didn't come on the third day while the spirit was still near the body. He waited until they said there was no way. And then he said, oh, it's about time to go see our dear brother Lazarus. If you had been here on time, Lord, then you could have done something. Lord, I don't want us to be a church that we can only believe for things we can understand. We want to believe for that which we cannot understand. I pray for your people. I pray we would not simply have the faith to match the, 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 the path that we can kind of see how it might happen. I pray we just stand back and open our heart and say, God, do a God thing. We don't have to understand. You do what you do. Amen. And so Martha says, uh, Martha says, uh, if you had been here in time, the Lord said, oh, no, your brother shall live again. And she said, yeah, 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 yeah. I know in the resurrection he'll live again. In other words, I'm not a Sadducee. I believe in the eternal nature of the soul. And in the final day, uh, he will, uh, you know, he'll be resurrected with the rest of us all. Jesus was like, no, 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 you're missing something fundamental. You're missing something fundamental. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall... I'm glad you've been around Jesus for many, many months and even years, but you need a personal testimony. I'm glad you're a third generation believer and your grandma's in the church and your mom's in the church and you're in the church. You need a testimony. You need the manifestation of God in your life because it is your testimony that becomes your greatest asset in declaring the greatness of God and the manifestation of his kingdom here on earth. I need a testimony. You need a testimony. And this is why I believe, hear me today, that Jesus continually beckoned to us to believe for great and mighty things. Jesus continually says things like, with God, anything is possible. Jesus says, speak to the mountain. If you will, if you will believe, if even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that mountain will be thrown into the sea. That's why Jesus will say, greater works than these shall you do. That's why Jesus will say, if you ask anything, in my name, I will do it. He is inviting you to audacious faith. Church, he's inviting us to believe for the mighty and the glorious. And I'm afraid sometimes we settle for just hoping for something good when he wants us to speak his dominion into this world. He wants us to praise him for the miraculous. He wants us to celebrate. I want to exercise my faith. Isn't that a strange verb choice? Exercise your faith. It almost sounds as though God thinks you should go to the faith gym and work out. You should try to have stronger faith and stronger faith and stronger faith. When we, the people of God, receive in our life the personal manifestation of 
of his power. We are not just the orderly crowd who follows the commandments, but we are the living, walking miracles, the evangels that are known and read of men. We need the miraculous in our life. This is why on the day of Pentecost, when the miraculous happens to the disciples, they are changed and their confidence is completely restructured. And they go out and turn the world upside down. Why? They had lived. They had not just seen it for others. They had lived a miracle for themselves. And they spiritually had become what Lazarus represented. The old man of death had been changed into a new creation in Christ Jesus. I claim it for every heart here today. Would you stand with me all across the house? How many of you have some things in your life that you haven't been asking for? I want to be the first one to admit it here today. I have some needs I haven't. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.